Hello, and welcome to Clinical Nutrition Notes, a podcast where we speak with guest experts and opinion leaders about the art and science of clinical nutrition, brought to you by Nestle Health Science Canada. This podcast is intended for healthcare professionals for education purposes. I'm your host, Bethany Hopkins, Medical Affairs Manager with Nestle Health Science. Today, we'll be talking with Dr. Jose Murray about malnutrition in the older adult. Dr. Murray is an Associate Professor of Medicine at McGill University and Director of the Division of Geriatric Medicine at McGill University, McGill University Health Centre, and the Jewish General Hospital. Dr. Murray is also Associate Director of the Quebec Network for Research on Aging. His research interests include protein metabolism and requirements in the older adult, nutrition, and functional status. Dr. Murray has more than 100 original publications, most of them in high-impact journals in the fields of aging, nutrition, and metabolism. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Murray. In your practice as a geriatrician, you work with older adults who may have nutrition-related concerns. In our last conversation, we talked about the issue of malnutrition in the older adult and the association of malnutrition with frailty. Today, we'll be continuing to explore malnutrition, focusing on management strategies for clinicians to consider in practice. Dr. Murray, in our last conversation, you described malnutrition, the risk factors and the consequences for the older adult. Practically speaking, how should a physician consider approaching the identification of malnutrition? Yes, I can, I can talk about that. I mean, uh, first thing is, is being uh, sensitized or being aware of the problem exists. And, and uh, whenever we see an older person whose uh, weight for heart is, is, is low, Something, something should light up in our brains, you know. Uh, typically, uh, uh, knowing the risk factors also helps a lot to identify that older person. But uh, we, one should ask about, uh, is there any weight loss? What was your weight uh, six months, three months ago? And, and there is criteria. If you lose more than 5% over three months, uh, it's an indication of something severe uh, of malnutrition of severe degree. And, and uh, we should start right away trying to define why is that, investigate, et cetera. Um, and, and also, typically, in North America, one eats three meals a day, and these are a lot of older people that uh, have uh, uh, less than that and also um, asking questions about the GI uh, system because if there is some pathology uh, uh, we should address that right away um, you know and and then is based on the risk factors uh, is, is it the environment that is the cause you know these uh, social economical situations the difficulty with mobility uh, and we have to address uh, all of this uh, in a, a quick questionnaire. There is some, there is some mnemonics to, to remind all of these causes we should look for, you know, uh, meals on wheels and stop weight loss, uh, uh, to remind us of the different causes. Uh, but above all is, is be aware of the importance of the problem and, and uh, ask very simple questions uh, uh, such as weight loss and how many meals a day and if they are, there is uh, um, difficulties uh, at the GI tract, including at the uh, oropharyngeal sphere involving, you know, dentition, mastication, uh, swallowing. 
um, and and then uh, to make the diagnosis, uh, you know, we we can perceive the 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 weight loss that comes with uh, manifestations such as no fat under the skin, the squaring of the shoulders, uh, the 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 muscle atrophy. Um, and, and if one does uh, lab tests, we, we realize that there's always some kind of anemia uh, without having uh, blood loss. Uh, there is uh, low uh, uh, serum uh, proteins uh, such as albumin and prealbumin. And this uh, uh, completes the, 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 the diagnosis, but the, the questionnaire and your physical exam is so important, and we tend to uh, overlook these things. Mm-hmm. And it's really just, as you mentioned, that level of awareness and, and kind of working some of those basic and relatively simple questions into, you know, into an assessment when working with the older adult. One of the things that you mentioned, and I, and I think a lot of people, when they think of a malnourished individual, they picture that person who's thin and emaciated and who, who looks that that sort of presents in that classical um, sort of physical picture of a malnourished individual. And one of the questions that has that does come up uh, from time to time is regarding the individual who's overweight, they may have a higher body mass index. Um, and there sometimes can be a misconception that these individuals, because they're carrying more weight, aren't malnourished, or that they have ample reserves if they're not eating well. And I'm wondering, can you just address this this concept and this potential misconception for that larger individual? Yes, yes. I mean, certainly other uh, uh, more acute weight loss, uh, this is uh, often the case in which there has not yet been enough time uh, for all the uh, surplus of uh, of calories in the form of fat to to shrink, so you have a, a somehow an obese op- uh, person in front of you, and you consider this person as being well nourished. But already that that person could be malnourished uh, uh, because of a decrease intake that has not yet become manifested in the body composition. Uh, not to mention that you can be malnourished because you succeed in taking calories in general, but you're lacking all of the other uh, micronutrients. Uh, and this is the case of some people who tend to drink a bit more. So they have calories from alcohol, that's put it this way, uh, but they, are lack, they lack a lot of uh, essential nutrients. Now, as one ages, you know, uh, because of... Uh, uh, I would say a universal uh, accumulation of fat. Uh, you can have individuals that present with uh, a reasonable amount of fat, but their uh, lean tissue is very reduced. The condition that we called uh, in research, we called the, the sarcopenic obesity state. Uh, about 15% of older people uh, have sarcopenic obesity. So we can get fooled by the, the, the appearance of excess fat, but uh, they, they lack uh, lean tissue uh, and protein reserves uh, that is an important component to fight infections because it's a source of uh, a pool of protein to be used by immune system to fight infections as well as, as tissue repair. And obviously, it's not the fat that gives us the strength, it's the muscle. And, and the sarcopenic uh, people have uh, 
weaknesses and, and, and more. In fact, they have three times more fall risk than uh, a person for the same muscle mass but without the excess weight. So it, it's a, it's kind of the, the worst of the two worlds, you know, excess fat and lack of muscle. Uh, and these people also have more metabolic problems uh, because of the metabolic syndrome with more high blood pressure, uh, disturbance at the level of the glucose regulation and, and uh, cholesterol as well with uh, increased risk of you know, cardiovascular mortality. So it's uh, it, we can get yeah I mean it's, we can get uh, fooled by the fact that there, there is some some excess fat uh, but but they are malnourished. Huh? Yes, yeah. and I think that's I'm glad you clarified that because I I do think that you know we still do hear that from time to time that uh, somebody you know judged by just their weight alone or their appearance you know may not pick up on, on someone's radar as being malnourished uh, just by virtue of, of their appearance or their size without, you know, having, um, you know, consideration of lean body tissue, you know, versus um, fat tissue and so on. So thank you for that. When an older adult has been identified as malnourished or if someone's concerned that they may be at risk of being malnourished uh, because they're not eating well, they may have lost weight. They may have these body composition changes that you've talked about. What are some of the the steps then a clinician can take? I think it's very important to uh, try to sort it out uh, the underlying causes to address them, you know, and and also uh, uh, facilitate any barriers. Uh, an example is the, the typical older person that because of denture. Uh, uh, Mal, malfitting, uh, who is now avoiding certain types of foodies, end up eating less, so uh, and eventually even become more anorexic, and there's a vicious circle in there. So we have to really treat underlying causes. Uh, sometimes it's not so clear; it takes time, and uh, especially in those cases where there is no uh, no obvious uh, acute condition. Uh, but one important aspect is not to uh, prolong the state uh, of of uh, investigating without uh, doing anything to overcome the malnutrition. And uh, and at this point, you know, uh, many physicians they 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 don't have all the knowledge. Uh, required to undertake this, I would say, is a rehabilitation of the nutrition status, and and a nutritionist uh, is of uh, uh, great importance at that stage to work along with with the, the physician or the healthcare provider to uh, uh, to see with more detail uh, reasons why uh, the person isn't eating uh, and immediately offer uh, food that is nutrient-dense uh, or high nutrition quality to overcome the, the, uh, the problem. So, you know? you know, really, I guess, utilizing resources among the multidisciplinary team and, and, and consulting a dietitian if more detailed assessment and, and intervention you believe is required would be an important consideration. Oh, definitely, especially because they have certain skills that we don't possess as, as physicians. 
in terms of interviewing, uh, going over uh, details of meals, and 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 uh, also they can early on provide uh, you know intervention alternatives and and uh, advices that we don't know all the, these details because they are professionals themselves. Mm-hmm. Yes, and that's yeah their area of focus. You mentioned Dr. Murray, uh a food first approach. And I think that that's something that resonates with, uh, with everyone uh, looking for nutrient dense foods, taking a food first approach, finding foods that work for that individual. And that's something of course, that the, the dietitian may be able to, or certainly would be able to help with. Now, I know some individuals use oral nutrition supplements. Can you comment for a moment on that? Yes. I mean, uh, usually these are very uh, well-balanced uh, uh, nutrition, um, we have to be careful uh, because it's positive and negative aspects the, 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 because it's uh, easy uh, if you have them, if procured them uh, and you have it available, uh, it can quickly uh, replace the, the meal and then by the end of the day you end up eating no more than than your your basic uh, uh, sustenance, you know. So in order to really take benefit from uh, from these oral supplements and have patients who really require to be on it because otherwise they will never achieve their uh, recommended energy and, and protein and nutrient intakes, uh, is to give it far from the next meal so that it does not become a meal replacement or not prevent you from uh, feeling hungry for the next meal and one safe uh, one safe introduction of of uh, oral uh, supplements is is after the last meal in the evening uh, after uh, 7 8 p.m. because you know that it's going to be uh, uh, staying on you and will not affect uh, your next meal right so and you can also offer it uh, uh, in in um, as a supplement again uh, like early afternoon but far from the uh, the time of the supper and this way you succeed in in uh, in uh, uh, ingesting more calories uh, because otherwise it is this danger and this is a negative aspect of having a replacement instead of a supplement and if one can combine that with uh, uh, an encouragement to do more more steps being more mobile doing some exercise uh, which stimulates appetite then uh, it's a win situation you know? mm-hmm. yes there is a really um, positive synergy isn't there between physical activity and and food intake they 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 work together very well that actually leads me into um, one of the the last questions I, I want to ask you about is is about protein so thinking about that physical activity that you mentioned and in intake um, and you mentioned earlier about you know, sarcopenia and loss of lean muscle mass in in some older adults. We know as well that older adults, when it comes to protein, um, they may experience an anabolic resistance to protein. So attention to, you know, taking adequate amounts of protein in and throughout the day and, you know, using what we'd consider to be perhaps high quality protein sources are particularly important in older adults. For someone that you're seeing in your practice, what are the implications for protein dose and source for the older malnourished adult? Yeah, th- th- this concept of uh, anabolic resistance 
it is uh, uh, it's coming from uh, studies, research studies, clearly demonstrating that uh, uh, when we offer small amounts of protein, it does not trigger the same uh, quantity of protein synthesis as in a younger population. But we call that resistance because if we supply more protein, okay, then uh, um, what a, a young person uh, would require to increase protein synthesis, we can overcome that resistance. So the, the approach here is to offer more protein per meal. And, and the fact is that uh, the most bodies, agencies recommend for older persons to take 1.2 grams of uh, protein per kilo of body weight per day, whereas, uh, you know, the recommendation from WHO is 0.8. Now, this can be very abstract, <laughs> you know, it's 0 0.1, 0 0.2, but what it means is that uh, uh, to uh, take more protein uh, enough to trigger synthesis in older people, we're talking about 20 to 30 grams of protein a day. You know, think that uh, in a three ounce uh, steak, there is about uh, 20 grams, to give you an idea. Mm -hmm. If you take uh, a piece of, uh, of um, fish, uh, it, it has about 20 grams as well. Your two eggs is 20 grams. This is more concrete. Um, same with uh, a glass of uh, milk, uh, which contains uh, also 15 grams to 20 grams. So I'm giving you examples, but you have to make sure that in each meal there is enough protein to then benefit uh, for, of that protein for synthesis, synthesis of your lean tissue, of your muscles, of your uh, immune system functioning. So this is the concept of, of uh, anabolic resistance that can be overcome by more protein in each meal. And because in North America, we tend to have a skewed intake of protein, very little at breakfast and much more at night. So if you can make an effort uh, to diversify what we eat and distribute the amount in every single of the three meals, then you are assured that there is always uh, a protein, uh, enough protein to trigger synthesis with each meal. Um, obviously, to improve that resistance, being more physically active also helps because uh, amongst other factors leading to the resistance is insulin resistance. So our own insulin becomes less uh, active um, and insulin is required uh, with the meal to encourage protein synthesis. So physical activ activity overcomes that part of the, the insulin resistance of age, also uh, contributes to uh, improve the, the circulation of the amino acids, with our, which are the constituents of protein, from the bloodstream into the cells for synthesis with exercise, you see. So um, uh, I encourage people, even if uh, uh, you know we think we need to run, by walking, we already achieve some exercise and decrease insulin resistance, and so is one way of uh, developing less anabolic resistance to protein. So engaging just regular activities of daily living, get out and walking, any type of activity could be beneficial paired with, you know, adequate protein and spacing that protein out, as you mentioned, 20 or 30 grams, you know, 
at each meal and you know evenly throughout the day. Yes, and and if you can uh, do this after you, uh, a good walk, uh, it seems to be uh, that there is an extra benefit. So if we take a meal in the uh, in the uh, half hour to an hour after the exercise, we might even give a little more push into uh, increased uh, muscle protein synthesis. Protein synthesis, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A, a good point. Yeah, to sort of, again, coming back to that timing, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Dr. Moray, on that note, thank you for sharing your experience uh, related to malnutrition and the management of, of malnutrition in older adults and some of these practical uh, tips and information that you've been providing over these last two episodes. And one of the, the takeaways for me, uh, and I think is important to remember, is you know, malnutrition is something that is amenable to, to intervention. So it's a matter of us being aware and, and, and recognizing this. Um, but it's, it's nice to know that there's something that can be done that can potentially have an impact on an individual's quality of life and their, their yeah. functional status and overall health. So before we sign off, I do actually have one last question for you so our listeners can get to know you a little bit better. Can you tell us how you first became interested in the field of nutrition? Well, um, probably because I recognized during my training that uh, a lot of older people were weak. You know, uh, when I started 25 years ago, even the definition of frailty did not exist. But already we knew that uh, malnutrition uh, would lead to uh, an accelerated aging, you know. Uh, and then I became uh, aware of that myself and decided to take uh, a research career. I'm a, a, what we call a clinician uh, uh, scientist. So F and F, I'm exposed to patients and, and some of my knowledge can benefit my, my clinical uh, uh, decisions and interventions. And I learned from my, my older patients, too, about always keep in mind that we have to, uh, to uh, be proactive in, in, uh, in overcoming the, the malnutrition of many of our uh, older uh, patients, you know. It's, um, and it's nice, well, it, it, yeah, nutrition is such, has such an intimate connection to, as you mentioned, the health and well-being of older adults. And, you know, it must be rewarding to be able to combine that clinical that research aspect with you know the clinical aspect and you can really see some of the things that you're studying um, have an effect on the lives of the people that you're working with yeah, is, a, is a concrete yeah concrete uh, uh, a concrete field of research that of nutrition uh, with uh, clear impacts in the lives of our patients yes mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and to be able to sort of see that in action is is uh, is very interesting and must be very rewarding well on that note um, We'll conclude this podcast, and I want to thank you, Dr. Murray, for, for joining us and, and sharing uh, this information a little bit about yourself, and thank all of our listeners. This concludes our episode of the Clinical Nutrition Notes podcast. To listen to more podcasts or to subscribe to Clinical Nutrition Notes, visit our website at nestlehealthscience.ca.